Well, here it is, Wednesday morning. Left, right, and center. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, Jim Chapman. Welcome, guys. Hey, Jim. Always a pleasure. Uh, on these programs, folks, the guys are always free to come in and, and uh, discuss any issue that, that is, has caught their fancy. And today they want to uh, revisit what we did for the first hour of the program. And that's just fine because they've got some specific insights and thoughts on it. It's the David Frum article about the uh, First Nations people. And we talked about it earlier in the program, so I won't. Well, maybe I'll, I'll just recap very, very quickly. He says basically that uh, we owe them an apology for the things we've done in recent memory, but we don't really. Uh, how can we? How can we make amends? or how can we apologize for something we had nothing to do with that took place years ago. And he also says that in some ways the, the Native people should be grateful to the Europeans for things like modern housing and health care and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, he also points out that the idea that the Natives were uh, absolutely in harmony with the environment was not true, that they exterminated uh, virtually all other than the bison, but virtually all the large mammals in North America when they arrived here within a short time of arriving here and that we should bear that in mind when people are, are, are talking about the, uh, the environmental sensitivity of the natives, that, uh, that there is some truth to that, but it's not, it's not as, as clear-cut as, as it seems. That's what he says. Now, you guys both seem to be kind of interested in doing this when you kind of say, what are we doing while we're doing this? Uh, Jeff, what's, uh, what's caught your eye or your ear about this, uh, this column? Well, I guess fundamentally uh, this idea that uh, Natives should be thanking North Americans for coming over to uh, to uh, take over the continent uh, and the reason for it being that, he says, if we if they hadn't come, the Native civilization would be the same today as it, as it was 400 years ago. I would suggest that if the, Nat if the North Americans hadn't come, the Natives would have taken adva advantage of advances throughout the world, just as everybody else has around the world. There are certainly lots of uh, places in the world that were not colonized by Europeans who have all the amenities that everybody else has in the world today. I look at Japan, for instance, where they actually threw the Europeans out um, 500 years ago. Uh, you know, Japan's gotten along just fine. Uh, and in but, fact, in many ways, they've advanced beyond what we have as far as technology and so on. Their technology was very... I'm amazed to hear you say that. Their technology and their advance into, quote, modern civilization, and we can argue whether it's modern or not, was entirely Western-based. Well, it's not today, you know, that they've gone way beyond what we have. But the other thing is when you talk about Western-based, to me, I think about, well, what the Europeans have and had 400 years ago in many ways was simply uh, uh, things that they had picked up from around the world, that they had picked up all kinds of things from the Arabic culture, uh, the, um, the alphabet uh, numbers, uh, mathematics, uh, from China, they had picked up all kinds of things. That There's been this sort of cross-pollinization going on all around the world for a long time. And uh, that there's no reason to think that that wouldn't have happened. And uh, that uh, if there were better ways of doing things, then uh, presumably the people living here would have taken advantage of them over the years. But uh, if somebody wants to argue that there are bad things that have happened, there are clearly major bad things that have happened. And strictly as a lawyer, the thing that bugs me the most is that in the 1800s, we entered into all kinds of contracts with, uh, with the native uh, bands in Canada because they had been our allies all the way through. Yes. They saved our butts in the War of 1812, for starters. Mm -hmm. And uh, we promptly reneged on all these contracts. It wasn't until 1956 that it was legal for a lawyer to represent a native in a Canadian court. So is your premise based on then, not so much that North America wasn't discovered, or discovered, but the Europeans didn't arrive, but that they didn't colonize? In other words, that like they did in Japan, where they made connections, where they exchanged, they traded and did all sorts of things, but the, but the European people didn't come in and displace the indigenous people. You're saying, had that happened, that the North American aboriginals would have 
achieved uh, levels of modern technology. If sure. Know. Yeah. If if uh, North Americans hadn't landed, then uh, the natives would have uh, would have taken advantage of whatever they found out about around the world, or they would have advanced on but their that's own. That's not the argument being put forth. I think the argument being put forth is if the Nor North American natives could have isolated themselves from any contact with quote Western civilization, would they have advanced? I think that's the question that, that's being being dealt with. So you're already presupposing that trade would exist, and, and it's very funny you should start on that, because to me, that the moment two cultures trade with each other, they begin to assimilate each other. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we didn't assimilate each other, though. One pretty well gobbled up the other. Well, no, it's not a gobbling up. It's, uh, it's an acceptance of, because let's face it, you'd rather sit in a heated house with modern uh, heating, heating tools and things than you would have to start a fire every day and keep the, keep the wood stoked on the stove all the time. I mean, these are, these are technological advancements that people share around the world in all cultures where there's a need for Can it. Can I ask you gentlemen, both of you, what's the difference? And I'm glad you raised the Japanese model because it's very instructive and very interesting. When the Europeans forced, and they did force, the Japanese to open their border in, in what, 1856? Uh, when Commodore Perry steamed into Tokyo Bay and said, boys, you're trading whether you like it or not, um, they were technologically, in terms of war-making capability, vastly superior to the Japanese at that time. And yet, they didn't conquer Japan. Why not? They did conquer the aboriginals in North America. The, 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 well, you can make an argument that the Japanese were not the aboriginals there. There were the Innu and the other, but you know what I'm trying to say here. They arrived and there was a culture in both places. There was a culture in North America. There was a culture in Japan. North America, the Europeans took it over. In Japan, they didn't. Why not? What's the difference? Bob, what do you think? Um, I couldn't tell you with respect to the specific history of it, but I certainly know that uh, the more civilized the people would be, the more they would realize it's to their advantage to trade rather than to conquer. The very concept of conquering is a, is a sub-civilized concept. So we're going around and taking things by force. So were the Americans more civilized by 1856 than their forebears had been in the 1400s? As a culture, possibly, in the specific instance you described, it sounds like that was the case. Although the Indian Wars in the States didn't take place until the 1870s, though, uh, and that's when the U.S. policy was basically to try and... and Stick well, the Indians on as small reserves as they could, and they killed a lot of them. Yeah, they they did, and, which and, we never did in Canada. No, and and but I think the Indian Wars began in in the early 1500s. If you read the history, and, and Ian Steele has written a very interesting uh, book, uh, Professor Ian Steele at Western, about uh, the early Indian cultures and so on, and, and how they resisted or attempted to resist the Europeans, and in fact, in fact, resisted them very successfully for the better part of a hundred years. Uh, so it wasn't the, it kind of dispels this myth of this uh, uh, European technology kind of rolling over the natives, that we were so vastly superior to them that they could not resist us. Well, in fact, they resisted fairly effectively for quite a long time. Well, I, I think we make the same mistake if we just say, quote, the natives and include every native group in North America under one umbrella that we do if we said white people included every white culture. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's it's a gross overgeneralization. I think you found in different parts of North America where the European settlers and the Indians got along wonderfully, and there were other parts where they didn't get along with each other. Sometimes it was the natives fighting the natives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was the Europeans fighting the Europeans and, and the other side picking a side. Uh, history gave us every jumble of this mix, but but this idea of, of a culture and superiority of of, a, of one culture over another, I, uh, that whole debate to me is a is a moot debate. I I think the issue is what kind of standard of living do we enjoy? I think a superior in cu a culture is one that recognizes individual rights. 
and I think that is defined by the degree to which it recognizes the right of an individual to choose his own destiny. So if there was what a culture property if, rights. Well if there if there was and a, property rights. Okay, if private was, property rights if, absolutely essential. If there were a culture, for example, that that uh, high levels of health care, high levels of, of standard of living, high levels of art, literature, music, painting and so on and so on, but not so high levels of personal freedom that they had agreed for whatever reason to sacrifice some levels of personal autonomy in, 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 I would in pursuit put it of that to goal. You that those other goals would not be possible without that level of freedom because in order to have a high level of art you must have freedom of expression you can't whip a guy to, to whip up a good painting he's got it's got to come from his heart so if the freedom isn't there you're not going to get those things and that's precisely now yes there have been great civilizations in the past that allowed greater degrees of freedom and it's always a matter of degree but I've never seen an exception to the rule that the greater the degree of freedom the better all cultures are, the better all people get off, you know, get along together. Mm -hmm. um, and the less freedom there is, the more the more uh, division there is in a country. We we're treading on very dangerous ground in Canada here because we're constantly being forced to focus on race and color and creed. Our census now goes around asking us where we came from. A lot of people never even thought about it. Yeah. Now they've got to think of all these these historical pasts and and dig them up and dig up every past, you know one thing that one person did to another a hundred years ago and and uh, what is being gained if somebody by did all do this? something to somebody hundred years ago shouldn't we try and fix that well it's a little late um, <laughs> of course it's a lot well, late which, but, which would go Jeff, to damages it, it, let, let, maybe you're a lawyer and I I've raised this issue before and I'm not sure what the answer is my uh, my grand well, both my grandparents came here in the late 1840s but you know one they're both farmers let's suppose that in 1855 and had been swindled out of his land. Somebody had fast-talked him and shuffled the cards and, and beat him out of his land. In 1998, should I be able to get that land back? Well, if at that time there was a law that said that your um, ancestors were not allowed to have a lawyer, were not allowed to go to court, had no way to fix that problem, then yeah, that at the first opportunity where you are allowed to go to court, somebody ought to do something about it. And to say that... Uh, but that first opportunity was 1956. This is 1998. Oh, the claim started then. And these claims have been going on since then. And, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate that most of the land claims that are, that are going on in Canada right now are based on contracts that were entered into, valid binding legal contracts with consideration uh, and everything else that were simply immediately dishonored. And it's a question of now that the natives can have access to uh, to the courts, should something be done about it? Or do you say, well, that was a long time ago, tough luck? I, well, I just don't think that's fair. The, uh, let's take another example. I'm going to stretch it a little bit, but I think there's a parallel here. Um, the Soviets and the, and the Nazi Germany signed a non-aggression pact, which included, among other things, yeah. trade, uh, 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 you know, um, not restrictions, uh, codifications of trade and so on, a variety of other things, and said we're not going to attack each other for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was that on both sides, economically, they probably would have been better off not to do it. Now, the, the Nazis broke that pact and attacked the Soviet Union and cost them billions and billions of dollars and millions and millions of lives. Should they be able to sue the Germans because they broke the deal? It was, a, it was, as far as we understand it, I believe, was a legal binding contract, was it not? Well, basically, their their deal was to uh, to not attack each other, uh, as opposed to uh, coming in and one saying, uh, "If you will give me certain things, then I will give you certain things." But it's still a contract. If you, can, can you and I not drop a contract to say that we're not going to, if we're you know we're not going to infringe on each other's professional lives or something? Uh, I mean, well, at the time, at the, at the time, and I don't even know now. I don't do international law, but if 
uh, at the time, one wanted to redress their, uh, their uh, wrong by going to some kind of a world court or something. I guess there would be a legal right to do that. They chose to do it with, with guns <laughs> instead. You get into a bit of trouble with this example because you're talking about two governments. Governments are supposed to be the ultimate arbiters. They mm -hmm. shouldn't even be making contracts. Contracts should be made between the citizens of the various countries, and, and we should be looking to the government to be the referees. Okay. But in, the, in that part of history, government, governments were players in the game. This is still a lesson we have to learn to, to get our governments out of, off the board and play referee. And uh, until we learn that, I, th I think that's a big, big secret to, uh, to defining even what civilization is about. You know, referring to the, to the native land claims, I've, I have long said that what we have to do is settle those disputes um, in terms of what happens on reservations. They should be totally privatized. And I don't mean put in the hands of a particular native band, but put in the hands of the individual people who live there. Make their, their home their home. Have but who their should name decide on. that, though? Well, well who's going to decide there? So they have to decide that, that among themselves. Yeah, exactly. If, and if they do, but, I guess they could. Well, yes, but that's going to be the only. Well, we have a situation solution. now, do we not, in, in reserves across this country, where the the uh, Jeff, maybe you can correct me where I'm wrong. My understanding is that tr the traditional government structures of the First Nations people in this country were were forcibly set aside by our government the early part of this century. Right. And that the system of government now that's loosely based, you know, it's a European model, is not, it's not indigenous, it's not, it's not an aboriginal system, and in the fullness of time they probably would want to do away with it. So yeah. it's, let's suppose that we do come to some sort of an agreement with the system as it exists now, is it a fair agreement to is it a fair agreement to the to the native side? If this is a form, if the government that's negotiating for them is a form of government that's been imposed on them, well, exactly. And and again, I don't think that's anything they should be thanking us for for having imposed that. And uh, they're still extremely closely micromanaged by by the federal government uh, through the Indian Act. Uh, there's a huge department that manages everything. And uh, I was interested to find out when they talk about self-government and how they would like to achieve self-government that basically what the most of them are talking about is they would like to have uh, reserves have the status of towns. They would like to have the same right in, within their reserves uh, that we have in the City of London to decide where we're going to put roads and things. But in most reserves, you can't make any decision that's more than, I believe, about $1,000 mm -hmm. as a ban without getting the approval of some civil servant in Ottawa. And again, I, I just I don't think we, that they should be thanking us for that. Well, I want to come back to, again, maybe some of the, the more philosophical side of it, because I sense that all three of us would like to see this solved equitably for all. Um, but the, the, the article provoked a lot of calls this morning and, and some letters and things, faxes and stuff here, too. Um, and part of that seemed to be, and, and many of the people commented about the fact that they liked what Frum had to say because he said it. Because it's not acceptable to say that sort well, of thing. Well, this is politically It's grossly politically yeah. incorrect. Um, well, well, Jeff, I guess, you know, from, from your perspective, is that a fair characterization that Bob's made? Is it politically incorrect what he said here? Well, I, I, I don't... Uh I spent a lot of time talking about political correctness. Well, you're one of the arbiters. I'm, happy, I'm happy to comment on it, right. though. I think that it's that, it, that it's a, a a silly thing to say, and and it's rare that, as you can imagine, anything that David Frum says, I agree with. Uh, I what? read a, an article that he wrote about Ipperwash last mm -hmm. summer that was so rife with with factual errors. Yes. Like where do you start? And I and I must confess that I, he is not one of my favorite readers. I and people may surprise people who think I'm way out there in the right somewhere. I often dif disagree with him. But one thing that he points out, and and, and I think it's 
it's an important thing is that there is a huge amount of resentment out there and that people are uh, really unhappy at what they perceive as natives getting better treatment than everyone else and you say that we'd all like to uh, achieve a fair result and I think that's right and it really it comes down to a question of what do you know about the situation and what's going on well, can we do how do you deal with it can we achieve a fair result and Bob will put this question to you. Can we achieve a fair result? And can we all find out what's really going on without this kind of stuff? I mean, you, you're, you said it was silly. and No, why I, would did you do it? You, I would agree. I would say you cannot. I think that these things have to be talked about. And I think that... Uh, but they're not talked about. And, yeah. and with all due respect, it's people on your side of the spectrum who tend to yell the loudest that we shouldn't say this sort of thing. Well, I guess I would say that... You shouldn't say things that are, like, to, to seriously suggest that uh, Native culture would not have changed in 400 years as the world has exploded in technology. Well, why? That's just not, it's, 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 that's why I say it's silly. That's but just not but really but you know what? you know what's inherent in that opinion? You're thinking, you're saying right away that something's wrong with Native culture, because you're saying, no. you're, well, then why is it so important that Native culture change? To me, the well, whole debate is about, about Native culture <laughs> remaining Same stagnant rational. and not changing, and that's what's being protected. And to me, any culture that is stagnant is just that, a stagnant culture. If you're not constantly developing, constantly trading, constantly learning, what, what value do we give to a culture like that? And, and if you're saying that the, that the virtue of the native culture is that it would change and become like it is today anyway, then we're back to, back to the starting point. I, I don't I see don't where your argument you, leads. I don't understand say that if I'm suggesting that they would have taken advantage of changes in technology, that that means that uh, I'm putting down their culture any more than I'm putting down European culture by saying we've changed in the last 400 years too. The fact is that most of us, if we can figure out a better way to do something, we'll do it. Well, yeah, but, but uh, technology but I, changes culture. It, it absolutely changes well, exactly. it. No, I agree. Right. And, and I, I think that more and more it's a global thing. I don't think that, uh, that uh, European culture is in the forefront in a lot of areas of technological development anymore. Uh, not that it matters one way or another, but uh, as far as the problem that, that David Frum identifies, it's a very real one, and that is that a lot of people think that natives are being unfairly advantaged. You know, they don't see them as being uh, behind the eight ball. They say that they're getting benefits that other people don't. They don't pay income tax. They, don't, they have reserves to live on. He doesn't say that. He does not say no, he doesn't, any of but, that. The, but people do, and I think that that's where resentment comes in. They don't have all the information about why is that? Why do they have reserves? Why don't they pay taxes? Well, it's because they negotiated contracts. It was a deal. They were our allies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were their friends throughout throughout our entire history in Canada. Natives have always been our friends. We've never had a war against natives. I hear this all the time. They have to understand they gave up the land when we beat them in the war. No, we didn't. We didn't have a war. Exactly. They were our allies. Mm -hmm. And we negotiated contracts. That's what this all comes from. And it's just a question of do you think that it's fair to live up to contracts or do you say that because it was so long ago that it's sort of not within living memory well, what do we so say? We shouldn't follow it. The contract, I mean, what do you do with the contract? The contract says that they own the Bruce Peninsula, they own the city of Toronto, they own 110% of British Columbia, apparently, according to the land claims out there. I mean, how do you deal with something of that scope and that magnitude? I think a third of Canada is under dispute with land, land claims. Well, there are all kinds of different land claims, and there are claims that, again, are based on treaties, and there are other claims that are based on land not having been ceded, that is, that they never gave it up. And I don't know what you would say about, sort of, did they have private property rights in relation to it? I don't know. Well, no, uh, no they didn't, and, and I think the nature of the very contractual agreements that, that some of the groups have gotten themselves into ha is perpetuating the problem. Um, that's why I think the whole thing, the only way to settle it is to privatize what's there, give actual individuals their property, have, have their name on it, make them responsible But you mean give them the opportunity to do that if they want to? Well, yeah, so you don't force it on them. Sure. If they don't want it, they, okay. can, they can sell their interest in it. Right now, they can't. If you're, if, you, if you're part of a collective, you have no personal interest in anything. You but can't Bob, borrow mortgage money. But you Bob, can't. there's a problem here. There's a problem with what you're saying. You're saying that, that we should give them, the, give them title to their individual property. Well... 
Jeff's point is that... As opposed to giving it to a band. No, no, but legally, their property ain't where they're living now, Jack. It's 26 times that size. So well, what land are you going to give them? That, that's an individual dispute one by one. You've got to see who's got the valid claim. I think the issue is who gets to be the arbiter and who gets to decide. And both sides in the dispute have to agree on that. If they don't, you'll never arrive at an agreement. Okay, we have all agreed that we have to pause for a moment here. This is left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer on the left, Bob Metz on the right, and me somewhere in the middle. In fact, we're all in the middle from time to time, and I think that's part of the fun. Uh, we're going to the phones now. Lines are open, 643-1290, star 1290 if you're a Cantel customer. That's a free call. And Gord joins us. Good morning, Gord. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, I think uh, the issue is being missed here. I mean, uh, Mr. Fromm is good at uh, covering the issues in a sense uh, the, the apology was what happened in recent history yes. in the schools. Kids were abused. Yep. Their language was were trying to be eliminated yes. from their mother tongue. Yep. I mean, I've seen on the news, I can't quite remember it, but Tom Brissett was on it. Mm -hmm. said something about he, he can't even talk in his own native tongue, and he asked his mother or grandmother about something. I forget what the gist of it was, but he said his mother or grandma said, I didn't want you to go through what I did. Yes. And I think that's the issue. I mean, we can argue till we're blue in the face, I guess. But you know, Gord, but you know, Gord, Frum says in the article that he supports this apology. He thought that was appropriate and timely. In fact, was overdue. So he's not saying there was anything wrong with the apology. He thinks that, that we should have apologized. Mm -hmm. I, I agree, but I mean, then he, he kind of puts in the issue. He just sort of stays on, on this side of the Zundel-Keekster line, mm -hmm. from what you tell me. I never read the article for the gist of what you, you see, I, I, I would, was about. No, I think you have to read it, Gord, because he's a thousand miles from, from Zundel and okay. Keekster. A thousand miles. Yeah. Uh, pick up a copy of the paper. There's probably still some around, and if not, give me a call and I'll get a copy to you. Alrighty. Because I, I think you need to read it, Gord, because uh, obviously you're interested. I thank you for your call. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Gord brings up an interesting point here where he talked about uh, apparently an apology for the language being eliminated, uh, native, native no, language. The, no, the apology is about the residential schools where they took kids from their homes without anybody's permission, without their consent. They simply said, you are coming with me. And then when they had stewardship of these children, did not treat them properly abused them, uh, didn't feed them properly, did not give them the kind of education they had promised them, forbid them the use of their own tongue. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I have done some reach into residential schools, and I find it hard to justify it on any level. I agree well, with Frum that, it, that the, in this case, the apology was entirely appropriate. Yes, and, and, and that represents compulsory education, which I don't think we should have anywhere. I mean, not, not state compulsory. Well, this is... Particularly yeah. compulsory. Way beyond public school, boy. Yeah, really, it sure is. Let's go back to the phones with caller Bill. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Fine, thanks. I just wanted to make a couple of points. Like, there's no way you can tell what might have happened. You know, if, if the Europeans hadn't have come. Yes. I, I think I think my, what very well might have, might have happened was uh, all the natives would be working in slave camps now for the Russians. Like, you don't know. But it sure mm -hmm. wouldn't have stayed a country with a few Indians in it. Mm -hmm. But as for them being treated better, I think they're treated much better than. Uh, and the, then the, the the immigrants, they get they get their casinos built for them. They we virtually pay for them. They all got brand new arenas and community centers. But here in White Oaks, we have to get down on our hands and knees and beg for a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. We got thirty thousand taxpayers here. It's, it's fascinating that people lump uh, natives in with immigrants in the sense that I, I'm not sure what they have in common. I guess uh, say my great grandparents were immigrants. Um, well, most of us were. Yeah. They're and, not and culturally assimilated. Okay, That's what they have in common. Literally, all of us were. 
all of including the First Nations people were immigrants. Well, sure. Yeah. But I think that, it, that I don't know who does this, the selling job, but somebody has to get the message out that the reason they have these things, like they are able to put up casinos and so on, is because, again, of contracts that they negotiated with government. They negotiated for it. <laughs> but where do they get the money to put up a brand new arena? Like, this is in a community of two or 300 people. Well, again, they negotiated back uh, 100, 150 years ago, and they negotiated away claims for tons of land in exchange for small chunks of land and certain things, like not having to pay tax, not having to uh, go along with certain laws that uh, that uh, the rest of us uh, were, were bound by. And the reason is because we never conquered them. They were equal bargaining parties, theoretically. Uh, they were But, but is that the proper thing to do, to have, to have people living amongst us who, get, who do not have to obey the same laws that you and I have to obey? Well, what are you going to do about it? If they're your allies, create? how do you bring them in. Well, to me, an ally and a friend is somebody you treat equally and is, a, is equal before and under the law. You're talking about a situation where they either have a special status, and I always think that's negative for the person who has a special status, even though they might think they're getting something for nothing. Well, lots of people have special uh, status, so we've also rich people who can do all kinds of things that you and I can't do. They can't shut off to the Caribbean this weekend. That's not a status that's that has been issue. imposed upon them by something else. That's but again, a status as, as they an earn, ally, and a status that, as an that ally, you would try to convince to them to go along with your laws if you want to, but if they don't want to agree to it, you'd be infringing on their rights, surely, to say, well, I don't care if you like it or not, we're doing it. Mr. Ally, have a nice day. Okay, so let's say that, that there was such a thing as a culture, you know, that didn't acknowledge rights to property and just felt that all property, you know, I can take anything that's mine. Well, is that your quote? I'll just take it. Thanks. You, what are you going to say? They were allies. It? They were allies, and we made a deal with them, and now we're breaking it. Well, so you're saying that if there was such a culture and they felt they had a right to the shirt in your back and they came to you and took your shirt off your back, you couldn't say a thing? You might not be allies. In those days, you'd probably be at war. Well, the fact is that precisely. they were our friends all throughout. They helped us fight the Americans. They helped people survive in the wintertime. They were our friends, and we negotiated these deals with them. We negotiated the best terms, presumably, that we could, but then we, we reneged on them. Well, That's where the problem comes up. But I think the issue of resolving a land claim is a totally separate issue from talking about culture. There are a lot of people who live within this city who have, quote, land claim disputes with the city over the, with their neighbor. Uh, you know, my, his driveway is encroaching over my... I mean, this is, this is a matter for court and for justice systems and for evidence and all that stuff. Well, you and I cannot decide that issue here. Isn't the I point, though, Bob, isn't the point, though, if it was the land claim or a land dispute in the city of London, you don't have to wait since 1956 to get it adjudicated? Well, that's because you're dealing with a more local government. And But I bet you I would if I decided I'm not going to play along with, with, with this government and I want to be represented by some other authority and that I want to have uh, immunity from this, that, and the other thing. You bet I'm going to be waiting for 50 years. Bill, a final word? from you well uh, it's um it just seems to me like it's like a like a like a parent and a and a misbehaving child it's not not all natives that are like us i think it's just a few but the thing is the government thinks the more money they throw at them the better they're going to behave well this is wrong right. when are they going to smarten up thanks for the call bill thank you uh, i'm Appreciate not sure who would be the parent and who would be the child in that relationship but. you know i think you could make a very good case that uh, it would not necessarily be the government it would be the parent uh, daryl's with us hi daryl hi yes sir yeah listen uh you know now that all the intellectuals have, have had their, their say on this, um, I'll probably be uh, labeled a racist for saying this, but when the Europeans came here, I think the, the native Canadians were in the Stone Age, were they not? I don't think there was yeah, any they iron... Uh, yeah, okay. Well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute now. Uh, uh, when they first okay. arrived, huh? I'm trying to think now whether they were, whether any of the Indian no, tribes No, no, were... there weren't. No, uh, there were there were abri no there were I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here. There were Aboriginal smelters in the south south southwestern 
United States pre... Oh, well, we're talking about Canada. Gold, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they also taught us how to live in this country. Mm -hmm, yes. And so there's a balance there. And uh, to be talking about land claims and things like this and apologies, uh, man, it's, it's, it's not real, is it? Well, it's, it's, it's as real as what's going on every day across the country. I know, but how, how many aboriginals do you know? I mean, none of these guys have ever complained to me that, uh, you know... They, so what, what, what do you think ought to be done here? Well, what I think ought to be done is probably nothing. That's usually the best solution. Even though, even though the those people who speak for the Aboriginals, and as you as you say, they don't talk to you, but the people who do speak for them say that they they want something. You're saying they should just get nothing. Well, this is sort of like listening to Buzz Hargrove, isn't it? Well, Buzz gets things, though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. You know, he got a pretty I good know, contract but, out of Chrysler. But I think we, we, we both have learned from each other, yeah. and uh, how it comes down to money, I, I really don't know. All right, Daryl, thank you for the call today. Okay. Uh, our next caller on left, right, and center, we got Wade with us. Hi, Wade. How are you doing today? Fine, thanks. I got a couple points of um, clarification from what you are saying earlier. Yeah. Um, the first one is, uh, as a matter of trade, they found artifacts in Canada from um, Central American Indians. Yes. There's been trade north and south yep. that way, so the ideas and stuff traded. Yeah. As far as um, what the West bought and whether the Indians would have uh, advanced or not is, uh, you know, fairly clear that they wouldn't have advanced as quickly or would have advanced uh, and just been prey to any other strong power. Uh, when the Japanese, uh, the reason why they couldn't be conquered is they had a close-knit, um, highly organized uh, civilization with gunpowder. That was brought in, uh, you know, 200 years before that in the mm -hmm. 1500s mm -hmm. by the Portuguese traders. Yes. You know, you couldn't Americans in the British or any other nation couldn't just simply go in there and, you know, fight them. Whereas in uh, North America, you know, you had more of a, a primitive culture. And yet, you know, you know, wait, I have to interrupt you just for a moment. And again, I'll make reference to uh, to the book that I read. Uh, I think it was by Ian Steele. Just something to back my mind. Maybe it wasn't his. Anyway, it was a book about about uh, uh, European incursions. In fact, the natives did better fighting the whites, fighting the Europeans before they had access to European technology, to firepower and, and, and gunpowder and guns and so on. They were more effective for the first 50 or 75 years in fighting and keeping the whites off than they were after they got access to our technology. That, that's true, but that, you could say the same thing about the Chinese before uh, the modernization. Um, I don't know if you read a book, The Rise and Fall of Great Powers by Paul Kennedy. Mm, I've read that. He's sure. one of the foremost uh, political scientists and, and political um, uh, history majors in, mm -hmm. in, you know, in the Western world. Yeah. He, he stated that you know, it, a lot of things are based on economics, and, and the reason why the West advanced so quickly as compared to, you know, they say the Chinese Empire stagnated. Yes. It got to a certain point. You know, it had gunpowder, it had uh, steam power, it had a lot of things, but it didn't advance beyond that. Well, they chose, they chose not to. It was a conscious decision made by the ruling class in China not to do that. It, well, it's by the government. They, they said that, you know, they, we want so much uh, iron ore produced and they made a certain region that did it. Mm -hmm. it but there was no economic stimulation. Stimulant because it was all centrally controlled. Well, exactly. As I Whereas said. the Europeans, and that's what I'm saying, the, the, the Native Americans here would not have advanced at the same rate 
without um, the influence of the uh, European traders. So you agree with David Frum's contention that that the uh, they would not be in that, that 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 they are enjoying a lot of things now they would not have enjoyed had it not been for the Europeans. The same with the rest of the world. Right. Right? Same with the Japanese, the Chinese, everybody else uh, would have been enjoying the same thing. There's always been cultural changes and cultural exchange of knowledge, education, and advances, but everybody agrees. But only through, it seems like, anyways, uh, your great advances come through war. And whenever there's war or there's power, there seems to be advances. I'm not saying that I don't agree that the Indians should uh, get special status today. I think they should. Uh, we did take a lot from them. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we introduced a lot of diseases they never yeah. had here. Mm -hmm. We wiped out millions of Indians that way. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I agree they should get their special status, and I think the land claims have to be settled right. sooner or later so okay. that we can get on and live. Okay, Wade, thank you for the call. I appreciate hearing from you. Bob, you wanted to say? Uh, it's funny that Wade would say that the big advances came during periods of war. I would say no, during period of, periods of trade. War destroys things, I think, if you, if you notice things. But war does all, it, in many cases, and has termed to, affected to, to ultimately to improve trade because it allows one side oh. to impose trade conditions on the other and then after the war is over after the war is yeah. over well i think that's so what he meant the benefit is not the war the benefit is the p period of peace that follows the no, war the and if you had the peace all the time war would not be necessary although people will argue that technology yeah. speeds up during war as well that you've got a strong incentive to try and make the better airplane or make mm -hmm. the better bomb or whatever for good or bad well, very 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 focused technology on certain areas where all the resources for the rest of the country are depleted, which is what the Soviet Union did. They put all their resources into technological advancement, still couldn't keep up with America, which wasn't doing that, mm -hmm. um, because force spending just doesn't work. But I think the key to, to, to understand here is that this idea of being open and having trade is the key that advances every culture. And and that's a universal principle. You can't just say, no, what would have happened to the natives? Well, it would have happened well, to the, the, every was, European culture. It, was this a flaw in the native culture, then, that they did not benefit from the trade as well as, the, as, as much as the Europeans did? They had a lot to offer. They had land. They had furs. They had all sorts of things. Was this a weakness in their, their culture that they were not, maybe they weren't commercial? The enough? weakness in their culture was that, that they had not reached the point of recognizing private individual property rights or other rights of person that, that went along with that and therefore they weren't in the same ability to accumulate wealth that they could have traded which in order to accumulate wealth you have to have certain rights your society has to recognize that you have a right to the wealth you create that does not exist in any collectivist type of society the, any society like that be it a tribe or be it the soviet union which is a big tribe redistributes the wealth and dispenses with it and advancement is impossible so it's very important that, as a mark of civilization, you look to what degree a country or a, or, a, or a government recognizes the institution of private property rights, which, by the way, apply equally to all, all okay. people. Okay, we're going to go back to the phones here. We've had Chuck, who's been waiting. Hi, Chuck. Morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I'd like to ask Jeff one question, but I wanted to say I was just re I was reading a book on, uh, on the history, like from, uh, from Ottawa to the Bay of Quinine when Champlain got in there. Yes. And, of course, he started the fur trade for the French. Mm -hmm. And he had, uh, uh, he had the help of the Huron Indians and the Algonquin Indians. And then they had, the, uh, they had to turn around and fight the Iroquois. The Iroquois went against them. Yep. The Iroquois lived in kind of the north. Uh, <clears throat> but the book went on to tell how, how the British and the French War went on. And I've often wondered what would have happened if France would have taken... Canada over, you know, instead of the British. 
uh, and how the Indians were gradually wiped out by each other almost. Uh, the Iroquois almost wiped out the Hurons. Well, and, and again, to come back to Frum's article, which prompted our whole discussion, he does make note of that, too, that the Indians were far from being this bucolic uh, uh, civilization that everybody got along with everybody else, that they were yeah. killing each other left, right, and center. Uh, and they and during that time when the when the eastern part was growing, the Indians moved out, went farther west. I'll be the late here, here. Went farther west because the hunting ground was getting, you know, it was losing the mm -hmm. animals and everything. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to ask Jeff. Now this land claim they're talking about. Now I'm pretty well mixed up with the Ipperwash deal because of my yeah. The question, there. Chuck. We got people but, waiting. Okay. Uh, does he know anything about the Canada Land Act when British also turned around and give, like even up in uh, Port Franks or Colonel Armstrong, uh, which was pretty high up in England, England there, was given so much land. Godridge was a certain man. And I was just wondering if he knows anything about that. And some of this land that was given to them was Indian land. All right, we'll see if we can find out. Thanks for the call, Chuck. What, uh, my uh, grandparents, great-great-great-grandfathers on both sides got land under the Canada Land Act. What's the story there? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that much about it, but I know that there was a Canada company and that uh, there were people like, I think Tiger Dunlop was a big uh, developer, Colonel Talbot uh, was another big developer, and Burwell and given huge tracts and, uh, and uh, developed them. And, and I was thinking about what Bob had, had mentioned earlier about the difference between the North America or the European culture and everybody else. and. Uh, and it seems to me that the European culture was just a lot more collectively ambitious that in those days with the colonialism that it was monarchs were measured by how much of a map they could say was their color. And I remember at one point the, the pride of the British Empire was the fact that the sun never set on the British Empire. And, and other cultures just didn't have that ambition to do that same thing. But you look at uh, even what did exist, and I, I remember somebody once telling me about confederation and how that was a term that had been evolved from uh, native uh, government with the Six Nations, and one of the things about North Americans is that when they came along and they saw something that was better than what they had, they would take advantage of it. Uh, and uh, when you look at what uh, European life was like back in the 1500s, uh, uh, I remember one one writer characterizing it as short, sharp, and brutish. You know, mm -hmm. the average lifespan was around 30 years. It was a rough, bad life mm -hmm. uh, that uh, people may forget how uncivilized in a lot of ways we were back then, too. I think that's a really good point, and if, if you want to do some interesting reading, um, there's a new book out by William Manchester called, uh, Forgotten. We're going to pause for a second. I'll come back and tell you what it's called, but it's about the kind of thing Jeff's talking about. Stay with us. Well, the lines are open as we keep telling you. Tom's with us on the phone. Hi, Tom. Yes, good morning. Yes, sir. I got a few points here, and I can ramble them off in less than a minute. Okay, where you go. And then they can comment if I'm right or wrong on some of this. Yeah. Uh, okay, how can we have them live with us with their own rules? I heard that comment, which made me want to call in. Yes. Uh, it's like, well, yeah, how can they live here and they won't follow our rules? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work that way. As you said, you know, the, uh, the way people are buying up areas of land and stuff as they go and making their bargains. Mm -hmm. If uh, Canadians only bought up, let's say, 5% of the country, and so the natives only have the 95%, mm -hmm. well, then should we be living under their rules because they have more land? Mm, you see what I mean on that? No, I don't. I'm a little perplexed, and so are my co-hosts here. Darn, I'll, I'll elaborate on that in a letter and send it to you. Okay. Uh, with, the, with the deal then on how they can get uh, uh, dental insurance and stuff like that mm -hmm. and have that kind of stuff covered, yep. and as you say, it comes under the contracts and trees that were made up before. Yep. A good example is someone wants to buy your land and, with the house on it, and you say it's going to cost $100,000 cash and it's all yours. Uh, 
And you say, darn, I don't have $100,000. I got a lot of stuff. I don't have that. So you say, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll buy it from you for $20,000, but I'll throw in a few things. I'll let you get your dental stuff free and uh, certain insurances free and mm -hmm. certain rights for free. Yeah. And in your own head, you tally it up. It's like, God, that's only going to be like $45,000 in total. I'm still saving all this money. Mm -hmm. They agree and they take it. And that's kind of how it stands today. But people out there don't understand that, you know, that these benefits that they're getting still probably didn't total up to the full amount at one point. Well, I would, I would suggest that what they've got between now and then would be a lot more than they might have paid outright then. But I think mm -hmm. your example is a very good one because that yeah. is what they did. So well, we don't want to give you money. And, and in a lot of cases, they didn't want money anyway. They said, mm -hmm. well, you know, what, what can you get? You want this. Uh, it, wait a minute. i got to back off, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Maybe you can help me here, too, because there's a curious dichotomy here. On the one hand, we have the natives talking about all the deals we made and so on and so on. On the other hand, there is a very strong strain through native culture that says nobody owns the land. So if nobody owns the land, if they didn't own the land, then, you know, what's the beef about? We shouldn't have been negotiating with them then. We, we, we should have just, yeah. we should have just walked like in the and taken it. We should have just yeah, walked in and taken it then. Yeah. So, that you, so you say you don't own it. Okay, I do. Plant the flag for the king. Let's get on with it. Yeah, but our, our forebears figured that was the best deal they could make for us, I guess, and uh, they only wanted what was yeah. best for their children. You see, that's another issue. Did our forebears have the right to negotiate on our behalf when we weren't there? They made a deal that in and of itself is kind of illegitimate. It's, it's an illegitimate contract. They're saying, for example, that we're going to provide one group in society with all these benefits that has to be paid for by future generations. But, but working. Bob, now, if you... Original deficit. Now, but if what no, you, no, let what, me continue my no, no, example I, I got to hop in for a second, because you've, al you've already piqued my interest. You have kids. Yeah. You have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, should you be able to leave her your accumulated, uh, uh, you know, the fruits of your life when you pass along? My personal wealth that I've accumulated? Yeah. yeah. My Why? debts? No. Well, no, no. But you're yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All now, right. Now, again, that is again this is no different from the illegitimate contract that, that, that we have made with ourselves. Mm -hmm. For example, Canada Pension Plan is falling apart yeah. because it's an illegitimate contract. Yeah. It, it doesn't have the proper principles in place to be able to be carried through. But what was wrong with them saying, hey, you know, and I think uh, that Tom hit the nail on the head, it was a pretty good deal to the guy who was buying the land because he didn't have to put any money on. So sure, I'll give you... Yeah, because he wasn't paying for it. He was a government official using other people's money that hadn't even been earned yet or the wealth yeah. hadn't been created But don't yet. forget, though, even though we're still paying, we still got the land. So you're the great-great-great-great-grandson of the person who made the deal. Yeah, they're still on the hook for the debt, but, but seems, they still have the land. It seems to me that when you buy something, you pay for it, and that's it. It's yours. You don't keep paying and paying and paying. Maybe and what we do is we You're leasing. How's that? Yeah. Or you're renting. <laughs> well, that's you a little, know, that's Renters a pay a lot more throughout the years for what they're renting for. They never end up owning it. Tom, appreciate the call. But can again, I that's a contract. Oh, quickly, that may help. Quickly, if you can. Where you're talking 120% of BC is being, you know, well, it's, off. it's more than 100%. One reason may be because of the fact that when it came to Indian nations and their borders, uh, one tribe borders well, that's exactly crossed over well, that's exa border. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. yeah, it's just different claims from bands. Appreciate the call. Have a good day. It's a great conversation. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Um... Well, maybe what we do, maybe the answer is we give them, we give them all the land back, and then we have, but we, they have to buy it from us, because would that work? I mean, they sold it to us, so maybe we give it back to them, but they have to give us money for it. You know, then we have to give them compensation. It, it's like that our argument, again, that if you gave everyone an equal amount of money today, where would we all be tomorrow? Yeah. It would all be an unequal division of there'd wealth be, and everything. There would be 5% of the people with most of the money. It would be back to the same thing. Because but you would be the first one, though, to say that if you make a deal, a deal's a deal. Like at the, uh, the, if the deal is legitimate, it's a deal of on, the, on the part of our forebears. They're negotiated as tough.
business deals at the time. You know, they didn't they, they didn't give these special rights because they're uh, disadvantaged or anything else. They well, said, see, you've the, got something we want. Here's at, what we're prepared to give you time, in exchange for it. At the time, both sides still weren't as civilized as we are today. No. You know, our earlier culture was primitive as well. And then we were still at a primitive stage when we came to North America. We still dealt through government. We still dealt with with figureheads through government, mm -hmm. quote, representing the people, which yeah. is a complete most fiction. Most people couldn't vote. Most it's men. It's a complete mm -hmm. fiction. Okay, we got to pause for a second, guys. We'll be right back. It's been a very interesting day today, uh, right through talk of the town, particularly left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Uh, I don't think we resolved anything, but the, it wasn't about resolution today. I think this is one of the big issues of our time, and I hope that you were enlightened as I was by both of our guests today. They both got me thinking about different sides of the story. Uh, Jeff started off. Bob, I'm going to give the closing comments to you. Yeah, um, I wish, I almost wish the words race and culture would just go away and just weren't part of our makeup anymore. I think to look to the broader issue of culture, if we're looking at Western culture, um, it is, that's, that's a mixture of many, many world cultures. And I think that's wonderful that we pick the best from each culture and carry on and move forward. And it's necessary to have an environment of freedom, of trade, of mutual uh, respect and understanding in order for that whole, whole thing to work. Otherwise, human beings will never be able to, to live amongst themselves unless we all have equal rights, individual rights, and property rights. Jeff, last word from you. Um, just that I hope that people can can come to realize that the natives are not ripping us off. They're not being treated uh, in some special way uh, for no good reason. These are things that they negotiated and they're entitled to. And it's to our credit as a society that now we're coming to grips with it and dealing with it. And people should uh, should be proud of themselves for that. And I agree with both uh, both our my co-hosts today. I think they're both right. Um, and as I said before early in the program, I made a little speech about it. It's a problem that we have to we have to face, we have to deal with. And then having established somehow some form of equitable settlement for all, we have to look to the future where we can all hope to uh, make this an even better place to live than it is now. Tomorrow on the program, uh, open phones, whatever's in the news, you know how we.